I know it's late, but I want to record this podcast as well, not because it's so critically important, but because, well, it should be kind of fun. So when I wrote my last book for my kids, A Multicolored Coat, I was surprised at just how positive the reception was. People have liked my other books, but the level of praise for this book was even better than what I received for Growbar, which I wrote back in 2002. So what did the multicolored coat, Growbar and Squiggles, Growbar sequel, all have in common? I thought about it, and the answer was that they were fun. Sure, there might have been heavy stuff behind them, but I didn't just pound away at that, beating on my poor innocent reader's emotions until they were numb and really quite tired of what I was writing. I have to say, the feedback makes sense. Given the option between a lighthearted shoot 'em up and some existential movie about the nature of life as a bicycle, I generally choose to shoot 'em up. I'd like to think I'm better than that, but I'm not. Put another way, if I want my writing to actually lift people up, it can't be pulling them down. But yet another way, the world has a whole lot of things pulling us down. There's really no need for me to be adding to it. So I'm going to do something I haven't encountered much before. A lighthearted and hopefully entertaining weekly devartor. Will I succeed? I have absolutely no idea. I guess you'll just have to let me know. And furtive smiles ought to cover it. Anyway, enough of my largely pointless explanation about why I'm doing this. I've got to buckle down, pretend I know it's going to be perfectly received, and just get to it. So here goes, for real. Okay, this week's Torah portion involves some traditionally unpleasant stuff, animal sacrifice. You've got the blood, the guts, the body parts, the burning, all sorts of nasty things we prefer not to think about while eating our Shabbat dinner. And yet here it is, shoved in our faces, with all sorts of seemingly useless details about using this animal here and that animal there, or these guts here or those guts there. It is pretty nasty. And we haven't done any of this stuff since, well, the high-end dynasty. So why the heck do we even care? The answer is true love. Seriously, the offerings are to us what kissing is to most little kids. Not my deranged five-year-old, but that's another story. They are gross. But once you're into them, the gross sort of gets superseded by something entirely different. In this case, true love. Let me explain. I'll use examples from a friend. None of these examples have anything to do with me or my actual relationships with anybody else. They're just examples from my friend. Okay. Now, for the purpose of this exercise, the Shekhinah is going to be feminine. It helps that the Shekhinah is literally feminine. And we're going to adopt some very old-fashioned ideas of courtship for this exercise. We're talking Shang Dynasty era. And I never even heard of them before I wrote this sentence. I could explain the antique gender roles, but it's probably more fun just to let you read them and hate me instead for my typecasting. Anyway, here goes. The first offering we can bring is the Ola offering. It is a willful offering, expressing a simple desire to give something of yourself to Mishchina. The most famous Ola offering of all was Yitzchak. Yeah, we all know Avraham was expressing fear of God and all that, but that was at the end. Earlier on, he had actually decided to give something of himself to God. That's the whole point of child sacrifice. Avraham made the decision to do it. It was a willful decision, a real downer in its way. The best example my friend could come up with was when he wanted to give something to this woman he'd started dating. Turns out it was his future wife, some gal named Rebecca. He went to a store, we'll call it a handily rock and jewelry supply, and looked through all the various types of stones they had. He ended up picking something he thought she'd like, a nice blue rock, a color he liked, and had it set on a thin gold chain because he was on a budget after all. But it still represented his own effort and will, some expression of what he was capable of. 
Sure, it was his brother's idea, but we don't have to get into that. Anyway, this was kind of an Allah offering, except instead of burning it in a dedication to the spiritual world, he stuck it in a USPS package and mailed it to Australia. Anyway, the Allah represents will as well as a simple gift, and we can see it in the offerings. They are male. In the Chumash, the male represents the willful, while the female represents the actualizing. Okay, I can't just let that sit there and have you glower or stop reading because of how Shang Dynasty I am. In reproductive terms, the male has to decide to contribute, but that decision doesn't yield children. The woman has to actually produce them, although she lacks inherent will in the matter. With abortion, there's negative will, but that's another story. Put another way, Adam, a male word, plants, Adama yields crops. That's the theme. I'm sorry if it's offensive. I didn't write this stuff. So the Ola has to be male. And in the case of the little birdie, where it can be very hard to distinguish male and female, so hard that even today they sometimes do genetic tests to work it out, the potentially feminine aspects are ripped out. The entrails and the crop, which produces milk. Fun fact, the only bird we bring is a dove. Why? Because it's the only kosher bird that produces milk for its young. It not only nurtures, it is physically designed to nurture and support the next generation. We don't just give of ourselves. We bring the best of ourselves. Anyway, we bring this male offering to the Mishkan, we burn it up, and this Shina actualizes our will into spiritual energy, a connection to God. Think of it as a USPS package with a blue necklace for Hashem. The next offering, the Mincha offering. And no, it doesn't involve stopping the car on the way home for 10 minutes of prayer on the side of the road. My friend's perfect example of a Mincha offering was a book. You see, his potential mother-in-law who lived in Australia was a huge Clan of the Cave Bears fan. My friend's mother happened to be good friends with the author, so he got his potential mother-in-law an autographed copy of the book. Why? It was quite obnoxious, but he was trying to influence his potential mother-in-law. The classic example is Yitzchak sending nuts, a few local spices, date honey, and such to a man in Egypt. He was trying to influence a good outcome by sending a special gift something that shows real care. It's important to get a mincha offering right. Hashem wasn't impressed with Cain's fruit. To be fair, really, fruit in the Torah are always a gift from Hashem. So in an effort to butter up Hashem, Cain essentially re-gifted God's own gift back to him or her. I mean, dude, talk about a serious faux pas. He should have known better. Just in case you don't know better, the Torah specifically tells us we can't give honey or leavened bread, you know, the things we don't actually finish. What should you give when you want to butter up God? Oddly, it isn't a copy of the clan of the cave bears. Turns out, you want to show God you tried, and you're trying to be fancy and refined, and last but not least, that you are emotionally invested. So what do we give? Flour, which involves a tremendous amount of labor or energy nowadays. Oil, which involves a lot of purification and refinement. And incense, which conveys emotion. The Kohanim, who are meant to be pastors for the people, don't bring incense. Their emotions aren't supposed to be part of the game. If you want to butter anybody up, this is a pretty good idea. Refinement, hard work, and emotion, all a gift. Next time you want a promotion or a better haircut, keep this in mind. Okay, next up, Zevach Shlamim. To me, Zevach means transformation. Think Mizbeach or even Zevach Halav Dvash, the land of flowing milk and honey. Shalom means complete, which is why Jerry Maguire probably didn't work as well in Hebrew. I mean, you complete means at the end of the speech, but he starts off with hello, which means complete. Eh, it doesn't work. Anyway, this offering is a complete transformation, like you're all in, an engagement ring perhaps. 
Obvious, I know, but there you go. Actually, for my friend, it wasn't so obvious. But you can't just give a woman you just met a ring. You have to, you know, know yourself. I've heard that's important in relationships. And have some feel for your relationship. That's why the first Zevach Salamim is only given after Parshat Mishpatim. We know ourselves. We know the beginnings, the crux of our relationship with God. We say, Na seven Ishma, we'll do and we'll hear. We're committing. We're all in. Then we can bring a national Zevach Shlamim. So how did my friend do it? Well, he gave his wife to be the ring from a bottle of Coke. Sometimes my friend disappoints me. Thing is, we can give lots of things as Zevach Shlamim. Male, female, cows, goats, sheep, whatever. The key point is we put our hands on the animal's head. We place ourselves in the animal. It's like we're offering ourselves up. This is a big deal. There are lots of fun details, but I'll pick just one. A goat isn't directly called a Zevach Shlamim, even when, you're, when given as one. Why? Goats are rambunctious. When you decide to represent yourself with a goat and say you're all in, you're being a bit cheeky. You know, like giving your fiancé the ring from a plastic bottle of Coke. After you move in together, there's a whole new category of gifts. My friend doesn't know anything about this, but apparently after you have a fight, you can make up and that's good. And when you're just dating, that's one thing. But when you're married and committed, that sort of repair can make the relationship stronger. Weird, I know. Well, we have the same thing here. After the Mishkan is built, we can bring a chatat offering, a sin offering, a repair for damages done. I suppose flowers might do. Different parts of the people or the nation as a whole are represented by different animals in the case of the Mishkan. The offerings are very similar to the Zevach Shlamim. Really, you're reaffirming your dedication, despite mistakes made. My friend says he has a friend who says it can be a very nice and touching thing. Okay, let's say you... Uh, Fail to disclose you're married while on a business trip. You mislead people. You create a potentially bad situation. We have a perfect example of it in the Torah. Avraham goes to the police team, doesn't say sorrow is his wife, and bad things result. Avimelech actually says, quote, One of my people might have lain with her, and you would have brought us Hashem. Either hiding things or being suckered by hiding things leads to an Hashem. My friend's wife had a cool solution to this. See, he doesn't wear a wedding ring, so his wife bought him a coffee mug with the faces of the whole family on it. Voila! Nobody would be confused by his status. Asham avoided. But what if there was an Asham? Well, you have to make up for it. Perhaps you could symbolically show how you're giving up your rambunctious self. Goats are rambunctious, but sheep enable rambunctiousness. Either one will do. I think it depends on whether or not you're the deceiver or the deceivee. You pick the offering that represents what you did wrong. Either you did the, 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 the um, deception yourself, or you caused somebody else to be deceived. So what's the last set of offerings? Well, there's a whole bunch of different situations, all linked by the offering of a ram, a fear offering. A great example it's given is stealing from the holy. This is a no good, very bad thing. This was a bridge too far, even for my friend. But he had a boss once who bought his wife a vacuum cleaner for their 20th anniversary. We all warned him it was a really stupid thing to do. He even showed us the model. He was so proud. I have no idea if he's still married or even alive. But if he is, it probably required an offering like this. The thing is, I can't even think of this kind of offering. I mean, what the heck do you do to repair a vacuum cleaner anniversary gift? 
I guess it's one of the great things about our relationship with Hashem. He gives us, or she gives us, a road out, a symbol, a way of expressing the fact that we really know we screwed up and that we submit to her will. A ram, reminiscent of the ram offered in the place of Yitzchak, is that simple. Our relationship with Hashem is so transcendent, we can even make up after giving God a heavenly Roomba on Pesach. Now, I'm not my friend. It just so happens that I don't give Rebecca offerings. Sure, there are Shabbat flowers once in a while, but that's it. I pretty much stopped once I replaced that damn Coke ring with something a bit more timeless. But I do give something. I give words. Tfilot, if you will. I know, I know, it isn't quite the same thing. The physical commitment is missing. But there's something else. I was listening to a podcast the other day, the Revolutions podcast, if you want to know. The guy's a closet Marxist, but he knows his stuff. And he tells a great story. Anyway, he started advertising for an online therapy service. As part of his ad, the podcaster argues that naming his problems makes it so much easier to deal with them. He says giving them identity and identity means they can be addressed. Of course, I think that often the exact opposite is truth. By naming his problems, he makes them real. He takes what was amorphous and somehow unreal and gives it form and life. I wouldn't know, though. I'm always analyzing everything and live my life in a quaking bundle of labels shouting at me from every direction or something like that. But that's not the point. Tefillah is. When we say things to our spouses, our children, or even to God, we can make what we say real just by saying it. The kiss or the sacrifice, the stuff the kids don't like, they're all the same. They're taking the physical to create the spiritual. But the word, that builds the spiritual too. But by grasping some essential spiritual thread and reinforcing and thickening it, we are making it more and more real. Do we need animal sacrifices today? Heck, I don't know. Do we need engagement rings or autographed books from Gene Owl? I guess a world of words alone would somehow be higher. But I suspect we aren't really all there. My mother-in-law really liked that book although she didn't really like me. Words, especially words developed by people living thousands of years ago, might strengthen a community reality, but they don't necessarily strengthen our individual reality. Something more, something more than words is needed. Animal sacrifice makes us appreciate that there is more than just physical reality. The animal is sacrificed, but something greater is made, a connection with God. Confronted with that, made to engage with it, we can better understand what is really important. 77 billion animals a year are sacrificed for food, for our physical needs and desires alone. Maybe a few dedicated to reaching beyond the physical wouldn't be such a bad thing. Even now, during the Xi dynasty. Okay, if you like this, awesome. What I care about, though, is that it was somehow uplifting and helpful. If you think it was, great. Share the uplift with others. You could even enhance it with a copy of a multicolored coat. Wink, wink. If you didn't like this, don't tell me. Words, after all, create reality. Without them, there's only the happy fantasy of a job well done. I think I'd very much prefer the fantasy to the reality. I think it'd be better for my mental health. And now for two more things. First, this is Parshat Zachor. We are commanded to erase the memory of Amalek. This could be a commandment to genocide, but that would be a real downer, so let's ignore it. Amalek's real problem is that they always saw the worst in the situation and then just wouldn't let it go. Avraham didn't help them with Kedarla Omer when he was rampaging around. And they stayed mad about that for hundreds of years. 
I don't know anybody like that. Nobody I know ever bears a grudge for a long time. But I know somebody not like that. I have a Boer friend who grew up hating the English. They'd done horrible things to his family. The memory of the Boer was preserved, and so the hatred was preserved. He decided not to tell his children about what the English had done. He erased the memory. Today, his whole family lives happily in England. I think that's what we're supposed to do with Amalek. We're supposed to help them move on. We're supposed to erase their memory. If you didn't see it, I had a, uh, a dating strip about the Ukrainian situation, a dating advice column, uh, Dear Alexis. You might want to check it out. It's kind of interesting. But that's it for today. Shabbat Shalom. Have a great weekend.